Hello, and welcome to Cover to Credits, the bi-weekly podcast where we discuss books and their movie adaptations. I'm Ian George. And I'm Adina Hilton. In this episode, we'll be discussing Crazy Rich Asians. Crazy Rich Asians was written by Kevin Kwan and published in 2013. And the film adaptation came out in 2018 and was directed by John M. Chu. Came out like just now. I know. <laughs> like <laughs> uh, yesterday for us. Yeah. Yeah. So we're doing another live, not live, recent, <laughs> recent. release. Yeah. yeah. In mm-hmm. theaters. Go see it. Uh, it's not available at your house right now. <laughs> go out. Don't to even the movie look theater. for it. Don't turn on Netflix. <laughs> Don't go to Hulu. Don't look under your couch for it. <laughs> they ain't gonna have it. <laughs> yeah, oh, I'm so excited to do this episode. Um, actually, I read this book for my book club at oh, the library that. that I work for. Okay. Um, and I think How- this was in April. Yeah, I was going to ask how long ago it yeah. was, because you didn't reread it. I didn't for... reread it. It was in April, so it's pretty fresh. I, I was going to say, you always shock me, because I would be like, <laughs> oh yeah, I got to that one part where uh, that one character, and you're like, oh, Sophie. I'm like, yeah, how do you remember that? There's like 50 people in this book that you read like six months ago. And it was you... more like four months ago. All right. <laughs> if you quizzed me on the episode we did, like four months ago, I would absolutely fail it. I wouldn't remember anyone's name or even what happened, probably. Well, I think it helped to talk about it in book club. That's true. That talking probably, about it yeah. does help. <laughs> and you're in charge of leading yeah, that so I discussion. Gotta know. I you gotta, gotta be I gotta read the book. <laughs> <laughs> you can't just phone it in like everyone else, probably. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. So yeah, super excited to do this episode. It's been getting a lot of buzz and critical attention. People are excited about it. We are excited about it. We are. You're excited about it. (laughs) Everyone is excited. I was, we were both, I think, very nervous about this movie, namely because we looked up uh, the director, John M. Chu, and what he's done before. I don't know if it's Chu or Ku, how you pronounce it, but, um, and his uh, filmography is a little lackluster. It is. Yeah. He did the Justin Bieber movie. Yep. He did two step up sequels. Yeah. I think the third and the fourth one. Oh my God. Uh, and his highest rated movie was the Justin Bieber one, which was only 50 some percent. Yeah. He did like now you see me too. Also. I think. Oh, did he do that? Yeah. Ooh. Okay. Yeah. So a bunch of sequels and dance type movies. Yeah. So he clearly has a, a, pizzazz yeah he knows how to like you know put on a show yeah put on a show that's a good way of putting it yeah uh but can he can he bring the emotion can he bring the comedy can Mm -hmm. he bring the drama i think rotten tomatoes would say that he can yeah because it's at like we're sitting at a 93 94 percent right now so very solid Mm -hmm. uh excellent without getting too much into it i i think it's pretty well earned yeah the other cool thing is people are like i mean obviously there's a whole bunch of stuff to talk about in terms of representation yeah uh which we'll get into but also people are like this is the return of the rom-com yes this is the rom-com that we've all needed <laughs> <laughs> that we've needed in our lives yes and yeah i'm not a huge rom-com person but i yeah i i enjoyed this movie it was great so yeah. uh i guess let's get into it yeah a little let's go. bit uh the book and the movie both start off in this in the same way with kind of this yeah. um prologue introductory chapter slash part in the movie where it's in the 80s in london Mm -hmm. and we're introduced to eleanor yeah and she's with her whole like just 
extended family, like this whole group of people, and they mm-hmm. go to this hotel to check in. And in London. London, And they're immediately uh, discriminated against. Yeah. They have a reservation and they try to check in and the hotel uh, attendant or clerk is like, oh no, you must be mistaken. And in the book, he... It's from his perspective, and he's literally like, oh, I had no idea when they made their reservation over the phone that they were Asian. Yeah, yeah, because their their last name's Young. Yeah. You know. uh, And in the movie, it's, like, less explicit, but you know exactly what he's doing. Yeah, and I think, I forget which character it is. She literally reaches over and grabs the reservation book and is like, hey, I see it right here. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And he's like, madam. (laughs) And they try to throw them out. Mm -hmm. So Eleanor goes outside and makes an angry phone call and quickly acquires... Uh, the entire hotel. Yeah. Uh, in an acquisition. They buy it. Purchase. Yeah. <laughs> and so Eleanor gets to uh, revel in going in back inside. And, and being like, I own you, bitch. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> it's a really fun little setup to the story. It has kind it of is. no real impact on like anything in the present. But it, no. it, it introduces us to Eleanor and kind of just this interesting setup of characters. Mm hmm. Yeah, it's fun. That being said, though, reading this book, uh, there's that chapter, which is a flashback. And then we go to the present Mm -hmm. where we're introduced to Nick and Rachel. Yeah. These two chapters were really, really rough for me. Really? Trying to. And by that, I just mean like there's a lot of characters talked about in this um, in the prologue. Right. Mm -hmm. So Eleanor is clearly like the main character of that introductory part, but then there's all the nephews and uh, the relatives Mm -hmm. and like, you're kind of trying to understand who everyone is, but it's almost impossible. So that's a little overwhelming. And then we get to the present with Nick and Rachel. Yeah. And I wasn't even sure that these were kind of the main characters yet because the book doesn't do a lot to establish them at the beginning. It just goes into them being in a relationship and Hey, do you want to come to Singapore with me? Yeah. And then it goes into someone else's perspective who who's eavesdropping on, on them. On their conversation, yeah. And talks about her relationship with her sister and... Her mom and then yeah. how they met Nick before and mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. And I was just very kind of lost and overwhelmed right off the bat with this story, <laughs> which maybe was the intent. Yeah. Uh, it, it, it got better as I went. Even though it continues to introduce new characters, I was like, at least I was able to grasp, okay, it's Nick... And Rachel, they're kind of the main characters. Yeah. And Eleanor from the first chapter is Nick's mom. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm, I'm... I have a core. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I have something to build off of. But honestly, if this wasn't for the podcast and I had just read those two chapters, like, it'd be tough to push through that because I'd be like, God, I don't know if I'm going to like any of this book. It's yeah. so overwhelming. Mm-hmm. So I just wanted to mention my initial thoughts, like, right off the bat because... Yeah, no, that's totally true. And I found that for the first maybe 50 pages, it was a little hard for me to get into. And I was like, reading, reading, reading. Yeah. And then at some point when I was reading, I just got really into it. And I, like, wanted to keep reading. I got really hooked. So it's, it's a little bit more... You kind of have to push through a little bit. And I've read a lot of books like that where... The first bit is less interesting, but then it hooks you. So sure, yeah, um, and yeah, I, I believe that I could have pushed through it. Yeah, uh, at those two chapters. I mean, you did. I did, <laughs> but I mean, like on my own, if I yeah. wasn't like being forced to by this podcast <laughs> <laughs> by somebody. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. So Nick and Rachel. Yeah, uh, Nick is Eleanor's son from the flashback. 
He um, was educated. He grew up in Singapore, born in Singapore, was educated in England. Yep. And now he is a professor uh, in America. Yeah. And so is Rachel. So Rachel's an economics professor and uh, Nick is a history professor. Yeah. And they've been dating for about two years. Yeah. Uh, they're very in love. And mm-hmm. even though they haven't talked about marriage explicitly. Rachel can kind of see them together in the long term. Yeah. Yeah. So when Nick... When they're getting dinner one night and Nick kind of drops the question about going to Singapore, it's kind of a big deal. Yeah. And we get this great part where in both stories, uh, someone a, like a distant kind of connected relative to Nick. Yeah. Or someone they know is at this restaurant and they see him and hear about this. Yeah. And it begins this like text message chain, <laughs> chain. of events. Yeah. Telephone. Uh, where basically everyone finds out that Nick is dating this mystery girl in America. And he's going to bring her home. Yeah. For this wedding. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was kind of visualized in a really crazy way in the movie. Yeah. With, like all these overlapping text messages and like. Going round and round to all these different characters. Yeah. And getting spread. Collage of people texting. And it was fun. But honestly, that style, I was like, I hope this isn't consistent throughout because it's yeah. like too much. Yeah. Like, How when, would you describe the style? I don't uh, ha- really have words for it. Um, so there's a lot of kind of motion graphic stuff. Yeah. So, you know, the style like it's in Sherlock when people get a text. Oh, yeah. The, the speech bubble appears, uh-huh. but it's very visual. It's like, you know, the, they unfold kind of animated. Yeah. And when a text was being sent or received, there were kind of these animated lines. Oh, OK. That kind around. of. Yeah, that kind of you know, floated around and like wrapped around like real environments and stuff and like went into people's phones. Okay. Yeah. Very visual. And I'm like, ah, this is too much. Mm-hmm. But luckily it was only contained to that one part. Yeah. And they didn't really do it anymore. No, no, not even the text bubble thing, which is pretty popular to do now. Yeah. In movies, like they didn't do that. So I was fine. I'm fine with it in that contained context, mm-hmm. but it did have me a little concerned at You're the like, beginning. Uh... <laughs> I'm like, this is a lot to look at. Yeah. So Nick invites Rachel to stay with his family, come to this wedding of his best friend. He's going to be the best man mm-hmm. and to meet his family and go to Singapore. Um, and Rachel agrees. And yeah. And then this whole text conversation happens. And so basically Nick's mom finds out without Nick telling her, yeah. And she's already like worried about this. <laughs> she's like, I don't know who this is. And yeah. She's with this great group of uh, her friends. Her that, Bible study her group. Her Bible study group. <laughs> where it's just all these wealthy women who like look at like they'll do some Bible studying and then they'll like count gossip their about people. gossip and like count their jewels and yeah. just like <laughs> be completely unrelatable in how wealthy they are. But yeah. it's really funny. Yeah. And Eleanor hears about this during a Bible study group and you know all the other women are like oh who is she is Mm -hmm. she you know she's bringing home an american girl like who knows and so eleanor is already getting worried because of course as a dominating uh mother she's like uh no nick can't marry some random girl like i have to have a hand in it so yeah rachel is what they call an abc yeah which means uh, american born chinese yeah uh aquafina describes it really well she's like (laughs) they just see you as a banana yellow on the outside and white on the inside (laughs) yeah yeah, so she kind of has a lot of um uh a lot of prejudice prejudice. against to against her like right off the bat and she kind of has like 
a lot of things to overcome and kind of proving yourself. But yeah, there's a lot of like prejudice just against a lot of people yeah. in this book. Like if you're not the exact culture, wealth level and like heritage of all of these super elite people in mm-hmm. Singapore, then they look down on you. Like if you're from China, they look down on mainland you. China, mainland China. Yeah. If you're from Taiwan, they look down on you. If, if you, you're, if you're wealthy, but your money isn't like old money. Yeah. They look down on you. Yeah. And so it's almost like no matter what Rachel wouldn't have been able to win, you know, even no. if she was from China or raised in China or whatever, as long as she wasn't literally growing up with Nick, then she's not like accepted. Yeah, basically. and even though they don't have like arranged marriages, like it's yeah. very political in terms of like what family you marry into and kind of like the merging of money and yeah, uh, yeah, it's very. But yeah, the prejudice aspect of it is really interesting because um, I think is like Americans, we like really paint with a broad brush in terms of like our prejudice and our racism Mm -hmm. in terms of like African-Americans and people, you know, just Asian people in general and everything. And so then when you see like, especially in the book, yeah, uh, people being like prejudiced, like among different countries and cultures within Asia and everything. And it almost makes you feel like, I I don't know. It's like, oh, wow, that makes sense. Like, I, I totally can see how that happened. But like, we're almost like ignorant to how. Yeah. Other cultures, there's so much, you know, division. I think white people, myself included, just think of Asia and Asians as like one group of people. Yeah. But it's, it's almost so shining a different. light on your prejudice. Yeah, no, it is. As they, <laughs> yeah. their prejudice shows me how I've been prejudiced. Exactly. But it is true. Like it's like there's so many different cultures, so many, you know, different countries and different With such deep histories. Yeah, yeah. And of course they're not all the same and they wouldn't look at Rachel as the similar to them, even though um she is Asian. They're mm-hmm. very different. Yeah, but mainly Rachel doesn't know how wealthy Nick's family is. So yeah. she's going into and Nick is very um reserved about talking about his money yeah. and like really downplays it mm-hmm. and so she has no idea like what she's getting into when she goes to singapore with him yeah and as they get on the plane and he kind of starts telling her about his family she's realizing and she's getting hints that like maybe they are super wealthy or at least like wealthy and uh, of course she has no idea the extent but um, she's realizing just how much Nick hasn't told her about his family. Yeah, yeah. She's starting to see, like, the deeper layers of this. And then she's like, well, I thought you were an only child. And he's like, well, I am, but I have a huge extended family. And it's, like, really complicated and everyone mm-hmm. is crazy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, just a few of those people. Yeah. What, I'm so glad you told this to me because it really just helped me reading this. You just said... Everyone's a cousin. Basically. Like, just think about that, that pretty much everyone's a cousin. Yeah. And that helped me, like, process a lot of it because uh, we have, he has a cousin, Astrid, who's a very important character to the story. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then, and Astrid's great. Her story is so great. I really love her as a character. Yeah. He has a cousin, Eddie, who is (laughs) just, just a piece of shit. 
And he's more lovable in the movie, kind of a, an oaf. Yeah. But in the book, he's actually really terrible. He is, especially to his family. He's just like a social climber status. Yeah. Junkie, um, lusting after other people's wealth, even though he's already wealthy, obsessed with his image, very um, controlling of his family. Yeah. It's really sad. <laughs> it, it, it's kind of funny because they do play him off as the clown, like constantly like yeah. falling on his face socially and in every way. But mm-hmm. uh, it still doesn't excuse how terrible he is. Yeah. Uh, but he doesn't really have any kind of arc in this story. No, he's just there to be crappy. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Uh, now, it is worth mentioning if you're not familiar with the books. And I say books because there's three of them. Yeah. So it should be clarified. We've only... I, we've only read the first book. Yes. I have looked up some information about the second and third book in terms of this podcast, but we haven't read it. So we're only talking about... The movie that we saw and the first book. Yeah. So I don't know if Eddie has more of a role in future books or not, but Mm -hmm. in this one, it's pretty, he's just kind of a character that pops up every now and then for you to laugh at. (laughs) Uh, And then there is Alistair, who's Eddie's brother, Mm -hmm. who's dating Kitty Pong. Yes. A A soap opera actress. A soap opera actress. Slash maybe porn star. (laughs) Yeah. Almost definitely a porn star in a previous uh, time. And then we have Oliver, mm-hmm. who's also a cousin, right? Yeah. Yeah. Distantly related, I think. Oliver's fantastic. He's so funny. Yeah. He's just like the sassy gay friend of yeah. this story, <laughs> which is awesome. <laughs> and I, yeah, I feel like he even gets more of a role in the movie. He does. Even than in the book. Mm-hmm. And he's he's just a great character. He's, he's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, but so many characters in oh, the book. Oh, yeah. Like... All of Nick's aunts and then all of their husbands and their children and then who they married and then all these distant relatives. There's like a ton. And they talk all about, you know, the grandparents and the great grandparents and Mm -hmm. like the legacy of their families and all that. It's crazy. And like even like Eleanor's friends from like her Bible study. Yeah. Like I didn't realize to like the end of the book and they probably mentioned it and I didn't pick up on it. But like I realized that several characters in the book were the children of Eleanor's Bible study friends. And I didn't even realize like throughout the entire story, like Mm -hmm. not that it made that big of a difference, but I'm like, oh my God, like everything. Everyone's interconnected. Everyone's interconnected in like. This social group. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it gets very complicated. Yeah. Uh Uh-huh. So, uh, so yeah, they get to Singapore mm -hmm. and Rachel's like, this is fine. This will be great. And we're all like, ha, little does she know. (laughs) (laughs) But, um, to start off their visit, well, um, Colin and Araminta, who are the couple that are getting married, um, come to meet them at the airport and then they take them to get some food. Um, and it's really great because I think at the beginning they portray Colin and Araminta as like super down to earth, really nice, genuine people. And that makes sense because Colin is Nick's best friend. Yeah. We're supposed to, you know, think highly of Nick. So, like, Nick is going to be friends with somebody that's cool. It makes sense, yeah. And we find out, too, that Colin and Araminta, in their own ways, are also extremely wealthy. Yeah. Uh, like, crazy like <laughs> crazy rich. <laughs> also, they're Asian. Uh, yeah, so, and she find, Rachel finds out that their wedding is, like, the event, the, the social ev- event. Yeah, on that side of the planet, like, you know, the wedding of the year. Yeah. So it's kind of more is being revealed to her. But 
Colin and Araminta are very down to earth, nice people. So she was very surprised to find out how wealthy they are individually. Yeah. And there's this great, great, great scene in Mm -hmm. both the book and the movie. They do this really well, where um, after they pick Nick and Rachel up from the airport, Colin and Araminta take them to um, like a bizarre kind of um, food food stall area where there's tons of vendors there's just street food everywhere and they get a bunch of singapore style Mm. food and they just eat it It and nick's like oh my god rachel i'm so excited for you to try this food like you'll never have better um satay satay yeah (laughs) um and oh god in the movie like just seeing all the food and the Mm -hmm. vendors like pouring their uh it was amazing. And Nick says, and I, he's talking about how, like, these vendors, each one only, like, serves one ty- type of food. Yeah. So they're, like, experts in that one dish. Yeah. And so he's like, so wherever you go for a food here, it's, like, the best. Yeah. And I love that it's, like, these super rich, wealthy people that are like, we have to go to these street vendors. Yeah. Like, this is the best food you can find in Singapore. And this also introduces, like, one of the best tropes of these Singapore people is that they love to argue about what where is it the best food yeah yeah they're, <laughs> they're like don't go to that place go to this one this one has the best are you kidding me no it's that other place <laughs> <laughs> yeah like oh what you went to like that hotel for that place oh it's not good yeah uh I, I really like in the book it gives you a lot of interesting history about Singapore yeah and I still feel like way under educated in oh, it yeah. to be talking about it but they talk about you know with Singapore it was kind of the cross of a lot of like Indian food and other foods from different Asian countries. And it kind of became like the epicenter of different cuisines. Yeah. So it kind of developed its own type of cuisines that weren't really and anywhere style else in style. Yeah. Also, it talked about how uh, the families, the really rich families of Singapore, they escaped China before it became a communist country yeah. and went to Singapore. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of how they evaded and kept all their money yeah and so that's why like their money goes back so many generations and Mm -hmm. how they kind of were able to like stay around for that long yeah and in the movie uh paiklin who is rachel's friend from college kind of gives a quick summary of this Mm -hmm. um which is cool where she talks about how um you know all these people who fled china uh moved to singapore and settled among the native population there um and then basically you know invested their wealth in like real estate and land and then because it's such a small country and small area the price of land like went up really fast so like real estate is like the big thing there yeah so like if you own property like that's the way to make money and that's how most of these families are now making their money is off of real estate and like some trade but mostly real estate yeah let's talk about pikeland real quick yes uh, Rachel's friend Pikelin, played by Aquafina. Yeah. Who is just I, I love her in the book too, but oh, yeah. I mean Aquafina just does such a good job she, with her. And I've never seen Aquafina in anything. I know she Me was neither. in Oceans Eight. I think she had a small role in Neighbors Two, apparently. Yes, yes, um, I did see that. But yeah, she is so funny. Like so over the top, like really brash, loud, kind of like just does not care. Mm-hmm. And it's amazing. She's so funny. I love Paiklin. And then her, uh, she is, we get to meet her family and her dad is played by Ken Jeong, Mm -hmm. who, I mean, you know, from the hangover and community and like a hundred other things. Yeah. He's great in this. He's so funny. He's hilarious. Uh, 
Yeah, so in the movie, they're that family and those scenes really shine from like the comedic chops that are like going on. Yeah, and their house when uh, Rachel goes to visit is just like super over the top. It's like, super gaudy, gold everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> but, like we base this on um, Versailles. Yeah, <laughs> You're like, yeah. Oh man, let's. I want to talk real quick about like in the book. So there is so much. This is like. A 400 page book yeah and there's probably 200 pages of it are descriptions oh yeah of dresses and architecture architecture fancy stuff houses jewels. brand names mm-hmm. clothing especially brand names oh my god it, it, i i struggled with this about how i felt about it because on the one hand you're just being fed all this like description and you can't even like visualize it because there's just so much. And you don't have a reference for it. Like when people say brand name stuff, like I have no visual reference for that. No, no. So I'm like, I don't know what they're talking about. Like I kind of, it just like goes in one ear and out the other for me. Pretty much. And I'm like, on one hand, I'm like, I'm not sure I like that, you know, that it's almost like not even trying. But then I kind of thought about it more and I'm like, I also kind of like though that, you know, it's not going to, pander to you or like cater to you it's almost like if you don't get it it's not you know what i mean it's like i'm not even gonna bother to like explain it yeah their level of society and wealth is just almost so incomprehensible to people like us yeah Yeah, that if we don't know who this designer is it's lost on us who cares we're moving on on. yeah yeah that's true so it kind of creates this feeling this overwhelming feeling of like i how i would imagine if you were like suddenly in that society among those people, how Which you would is what feel. Rachel's probably feeling. Exactly. Yeah. So it does create this overwhelming feeling that I think is kind of effective. Yeah. But I wasn't sure when you were reading it how you felt. Yeah, to me, I, it was kind of in one ear and out the other. And some of that stuff, like my brain just skimmed automatically. Because mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's get to like dialogue and things that matter and stuff. Yeah. And some of it was interesting. Um I don't know. I have mixed feelings on it, I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So um, in the book, Paiklin's family, when um, Rachel starts talking about Nick and going to the wedding, they know about the wedding. They know that the wedding of Colin and Araminta is like the huge thing. They have no idea who Nick's family is. Yeah. And we come to learn throughout the book that Nick's family is like so wealthy and so influential and so like crazy important that no one knows about them (laughs) yeah this was a little weird for me in the book yeah and like they didn't know where that like they didn't know that their property existed where nick's grandma's house was and yeah because on one hand they're kind of celebrities and are constantly appearing like like astrid is photographed a lot and put it but yet how do people not know who they are it's kind of a weird and i mean not that it isn't possible or yeah it's probably somehow based in fact Mm -hmm. uh but it's kind of a weird thing to get your mind around it's kind of like the most influential people are so influential that like they're all behind the scenes you know um and i kind of get that and this sort of explains why nick never talks about his family especially to rachel yeah um because his whole life he's sort of brought up to never talk about it yeah and conditioned from a child to be like we don't talk about our money we don't talk about any of this so he is almost like constantly denying that he's wealthy yeah and even when rachel is like you're like fucking the richest people ever whatever and he's like i mean we we get we get by we're we're (laughs) we you know we're comfortable yeah yeah when in reality they're 
wealth is unimaginable mm-hmm. yeah, and, and not just wealth but like power and you know influence like yeah. politically and mm-hmm. yeah they're very very important people yeah and in the movie they just have um piglin's family already know who nick young is so when she says that she's dating him they're like oh shit like, <laughs> let's lay it out for you rachel you're yeah. about to like walk into like a palace basically yeah which takes us to the next part in the story when Rachel attends this kind of fancy party at Nick's uh, grandmother's house. Suyi. Suyi. And they mm-hmm. call her Ama. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And she has these rare flowers that bloom once in like a decade, like yeah. even longer sometimes and only at night. And they know they're about to bloom. So they ha- kind of have this spontaneous sudden party mm-hmm. and invite people over to watch it. Yeah. And it's when Rachel's going to meet everyone for the first time, basically. Yeah. And uh, Paiklin takes her to the party. And in the movie, she stays for the party because Nick invites her. Which was a great addition. Which was a great addition. <laughs> in the book, she just kind of drops her off and goes, um, which I liked having her there because she was like, kind of another person to be like, oh shit, like <laughs> everything is nuts in here. And Rachel's like, oh my God. Yeah. And more Aquafina is never a bad thing. Exactly. I love the part where she like opens her trunk and she has all the different dresses <laughs> in there. And she's like, let me just change. Yeah. Yeah. It was great. Uh, yeah. So this is where Rachel's suddenly meeting everyone. Yeah. Uh, in the book, uh, Nick's mother actually isn't there. Yeah. She goes to, I believe, China yeah. to meet someone who apparently has dirt on Rachel's family. Because she straight up hired a private investigator, like, right away. Immediately. Like, didn't even meet Rachel, was immediately like, okay, I need to find out what this bitch is doing. Like <laughs> This gold digger. Yeah. Because everyone just assumes she's dating Nick for his money, even though yeah. she has no idea about and she, it. And that's what makes you so frustrated I when know. you're reading it, because you know Rachel had no idea. And of course, no one believes that. No. Everyone's like, this gold digger. Like, she's trying <laughs> to get with Nick. Yeah. Uh, but in the movie, we get this good introductory scene uh, between uh, Rachel and Nick's mom. Mm-hmm. Eleanor. Eleanor. And Eleanor in the movie is played by Michelle Yeoh. Yeah. Uh, her only other credit that I'm aware of is uh, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I know she's a very famous actress. She's in a lot of uh, more Asian focused movies. Definitely. Yeah. She. I really like her turn as Eleanor in this movie, though. Me too. She plays her very differently than in the book. You know, I actually read something about this. Really? They really wanted her to be the mom. Um, the director and um, some of the producers, they're like, we have to get um, Michelle. Michelle Yeo. Yeo. <laughs> I like, immediately <laughs> forgot her name. Um, but she was like, I don't want to play a dragon mother mm. because it's like kind of a Chinese stereotype. Yeah. Like the dragon mother. Um, and she's like, I want to play her with more depth. Like, I want yeah. you to be able to kind of see more to her. And that kind of added some scenes to the movie that weren't in the book. Okay. Because in the book, you know, Eleanor is kind of a straight up bitch. Like, yeah, I mean, there there is some layers to her. You do hear more about her life and, you know, how uh, she kind of took a back seat to raising Nick to kind of let um, his grandma be more important in his yeah. life because she wanted him to like inherit her money and she thought mm-hmm. it would be good for the family. So, you know, there is that aspect to her character that is in both the book and the movie. But, um, the actress specifically was like, I want to her to have more to her character. Yeah. She's much more reserved in the movie. Yeah. In the book, she's, uh, 
kind of as materialistic as a lot of her friends and kind of very, I guess, just more overtly controlling. Yeah, very drama-y. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. She She's kind of a drama queen. Yeah. Freaks out a lot. She's yes. always calling Nick's dad and kind of high. Like, yeah, freaking out. Oh my out. god, this is happening and all this stuff. And it, yeah, in the movie, she's very um, kind of self possessed. Very yeah. like she knows who she is. She's very confident, and she's kind of like, "I'll cut you." Like, <laughs> <laughs> but then we do see more to her. Like, yeah, more to her. And story. I felt like the depth. Whereas in the book the kind of depth to her character that we are given doesn't feel like it compensates enough for who she is. Yeah. Whereas in the movie, you're like, okay, I can kind of see where she's coming, where she came from and how that kind of made her who she is. And Mm -hmm. not that it justifies the things she does, but you understand it a little bit more. Yeah. So yeah, I I really like those, the differences between those characters a lot. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So uh, Rachel's introduced to her and things seem to go okay. Yeah. Like the first time. In the movie. Mm-hmm. But like we said in the book, she's off digging up dirt yeah. from a private investigator. Yeah. And of course, everyone at the party is talking about Rachel and gossiping about who she is and like what's going on. Are she and Nick engaged? Like what's going to happen? <laughs> hmm. So much drama. Yeah. <laughs> I, I also love uh, they completely eliminated Nick's dad from this movie. Yeah. <laughs> which is totally fair because. He's like not in it. No. And in the book. He's just like he lives in Australia, yeah. like separate from his mom and his wife. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, his wife, Eleanor. And it's kind of funny just because he's just so oblivious to everything that's going on anyway. Yeah, he just doesn't care. The first scene in the book that we're introduced to him. Uh, Eleanor calls him freaking out about how Nick's bringing some American girl home and Nick's father, Philip, is literally fishing in Australia. He's like fishing and he's like, I'm busy, honey. Yeah. He's like, this is why I hate answering my phone. Yeah. But I like it in the book because she's so over the top that his like crazy obliviousness to everything is kind of a funny contrast. Yeah. Yeah. They just straight up eliminate him in the movie. They're like, oh, he went away on business. And then they never mention him again. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Let's talk about Astrid a little bit more. Yeah. Nick's uh, one cousin, Astrid, Mm -hmm. who is a very, very interesting character in this story and just very compelling. Yeah. She's like a fashion icon, like an Instagram influencer, but like way better. (laughs) Yeah. She... Uh, spends a lot of time in France, mm-hmm. uh, you know, getting the latest dresses and, you know, knowing the designers and just kind of being right on top of all the fashion and just yeah. spending just shit tons of money. Oh, yeah. But she has a ton because she's also in, in real estate and she yeah. has like a ton of properties that she's always like buying and flipping mm-hmm. and all that stuff. Um, and she is married to a relative commoner, uh, Michael, mm-hmm. who um, was in the military and now has like a tech startup business. Um, and has abs. And has abs. In the movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's a pretty good shirtless scene mm-hmm. <laughs> in the movie. Yeah. And they have a little boy. Yeah. Uh, and I, I really like Astrid's character because on one hand, uh, you know, she is... I don't want to say materialistic. She's like the epitome of the rich, materialistic, uh, it girl. Yeah. But also not. Yeah. But she's also very, uh, personable. Yeah. Like Nick is very close to her. 
you know, when she really finds kind. out, yeah, when she finds out that Rachel's coming to Singapore, she talks to Nick and like, you have to prepare her because yeah. like, I'm worried about her. And mm-hmm. and Rachel knows Astrid. They've met before. They've met before and she really likes her. So I just like that it creates a character where it's like, look, you can have a lot of money and spend that money and enjoy spending that money. And that doesn't make you a shitty person, a shitty person or a selfish person necessarily. Yeah. So I, I just... You know, it's such a simple thing, but I really appreciate it in both versions of the story. Especially with so many of these characters who are super rich being like total assholes, you know, it's nice to see someone who's like genuine and kind um, and is like, yeah, oh yeah, I'm like super into fashion. Also, like I kill everywhere I go. Like everyone's just like in (laughs) awe of me. Literally, they talk about her putting on outfits and people just being like, oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But she's just a a kind person and she really loves her husband and um, their son. Um, But pretty much at the beginning of the story, we kind of get hints that her husband might be having an affair. Yeah, she sees a text on his phone. In the um, in the movie, it's like the the bed is empty without you. Yeah. In the book, it's I miss you inside of me. Yeah. <laughs> or no, is it? It's miss you inside me with like a U okay, instead of a okay. Y-O-U. I'm like, is it miss your dick or is it no. just miss? It's just miss you. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so pretty uh, straightforward. She's like, oh no. And and she you know, is really, it's really sad because in the book, she's just really torn up about this. Yeah. And there's more hints. Like she finds a receipt uh, from a trip he went on. Like a like fancy dinner. For a fancy dinner. And she finds out he bought like this charm bracelet from a jeweler that she never got. Yeah. So who got it, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's just really sad to like read about her just being torn up emotionally about this. Yeah. In the story and not knowing what to do. And on one hand, trying to like, pass it off as like he's a mistress it's fine like that's okay like all these all the men i know in my life all have mistresses or affairs yeah like that's just the way it is but he loves me Mm -hmm. but it obviously it's bothering her like who who wouldn't be bothered but it's very sad Mm -hmm. whereas the movie just kind of takes it like she sees the text and then she confronts him later about it yeah i mean she is broken up about it oh sure yeah yeah. she's still upset but it's not like that inner t- turmoil isn't dragged out quite as long or is quite as excruciating. Yeah, and this definitely is like a really big difference between the book and the movie is just like the point of view. The book is very um, much of an ensemble cast. And yes, it follows Rachel and Nick's story pretty much um, as the central narrative, but there's so like it switches perspectives all yeah. the time. You know, you get Eddie's perspective, you get Astrid's perspective, you get. Nick, you get Rachel, you get tons of different people, mm-hmm. like side characters that we don't even like see that much yeah. have their own parts. Um, so it's definitely more of like a sprawling story. Yeah, it even gets confusing a little bit in the it book. It does. So, because it's chapters aren't even specifically from any one perspective. Yeah. It'll tell you what's going on in each person's head mm-hmm. jumping around. And sometimes you're like, I'm not sure who knows what. Sometimes like I can't quite tell if this is like only his knowledge that you're talking about or they're both. Mm -hmm. So it almost gets a little confusing, but it it works pretty well. The author makes it work. Yeah. And the book and the movie just follows Rachel and Nick's story, which makes sense. And I totally get it. It's like it's a movie. It's got to it's got to trim the fat. But Astrid's 
story is still covered. It's definitely it is, like yeah, addressed. But a lot has been left out, which is sad because Astrid is probably my favorite character. Yeah. I really like her, but I do understand. I get it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I get it. I understand. Yeah. So uh, leading up to a lot of the wedding and everything. Uh, actually, I guess right before the wedding, she yeah. finally confronts Michael about it. Mm-hmm. And Michael's just immediately like, uh, yeah, I'm having an affair. Uh, sorry. Yeah. But also in the book, he's like, well, I guess our relationship's over. Yeah. And she's, she's like, like, what? Yeah. She's like, no, like, I want to talk about it. Let's work it out. He's like, yeah. no, sorry. I've hurt you enough. Let's let's just call it off. Yeah. And she's just dumbfounded that he's so quickly just giving up on their marriage. Mm hmm. And in the movie, we get a scene where it's a little bit more of an argument and he's still kind of being shitty. Yeah. But just basically says, like, I can't deal with your family or your money anymore. Yeah. It's just too much for me. And it is kind of made apparent that he's threatened by her. Yeah. Like, she is so wealthy and he's not. And she has to live kind of like a peasant lifestyle with him and you know her whole family is super judgmental of him and he can't stand them um but yeah it's it's definitely like Astrid has kind of tried to make it work but he just can't really get past this yeah which you can kind of understand especially in the book I think yeah yeah uh let's get to the bachelor and bachelorette party <laughs> Let's party. So much happens. Let's start with the bachelor party. Yes. Nick and Colin get thrown in with this group. And it's funny because in the book you find out that like Colin doesn't even know like half of his groomsmen. Yeah. They're just kind of the most influential family yeah, men of his age. Yeah. And one of the only people he does know is this really shitty kid they went to school with named Bernard. Yeah. Who's just this spoiled, rich like son of some wealthy family. family yeah and he's just such a piece of shit he is he's just the worst but it's so funny he's even worse than eddie which is saying something he is especially in the book he takes him to a dog fighting ring yeah in in the book and everyone's like can we not stay for this this is disgusting like, oh come on and he throws like temper tantrums and yeah all this other shit and uh in the movie he is played by um I'm, I'm i'm not gonna remember his name now but he he is in silicon valley uh-huh he plays jin yang in silicon valley which i i love that show and i he does such a great job in that i think it translates well to this movie <laughs> his acting yeah so I, I enjoyed his role there's a great throwaway line in the beginning of the scene in the movie of the bachelor party where he's like you thought we were gonna do like dog fights and hookers and <laughs> which is what happens in the book and he's like just kidding we're gonna do something else because yeah. this scene is a little bit different in the movie <laughs> yeah he's like rented out like a whole like shipping freight shipping i don't know what they're called a huge boat yeah <laughs> That he's, a freight ship. A freight ship <laughs> that he's created like a whole dance club on top of. Yeah. And it's just, you know, full of just people no one knows. And it's just this wild party, essentially. Mm-hmm. Uh, bachelorette party. More shit. Even more shit goes down at the Rachel bachelorette Rachel gets party. invited and she's like, oh, Araminta's cool. Like, I'll hang out with her and her friends. They go to like an island for like a spa fun getaway. Uh, and then Rachel 
finds out that everyone hates her and is a total bitch. (laughs) In the movie, um, she meets Mandy, who kind of pretends to be her friend at first and then sort of throws her a bunch of information like, oh, yeah, Nick and I used to date and my family's wanted us to get married. And Nick was supposed to come home with his like to be the head of the company for his family and like all this stuff really kind of just like punching Rachel in the gut with like, yeah. Oh, Nick didn't tell you like all this yeah. stuff. Mandy's in the movie is kind of uh, a fusion of two characters in the book, one yeah. named Amanda and then one uh, named Francesca. Yeah. Who are both kind of like vying for Nick's affection and yeah. like trying to get with him and trying to sabotage Rachel. Sabot- yeah. Cause to them, it's still not too late, and they can, like, get with Nick and mm-hmm. get in that family and get that money. Get that money. <laughs> get that money. So they're just being hor- – they're just playing mind games with Rachel and trying to psych her out uh, to the point where Rachel goes back to her room at one point and finds a gutted fish in her purse. Yeah. And written on the wall is uh, uh, go back home, you uh, gold, gold digging. digging bitch. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So – very shocking and horrible for Rachel to find. Yeah. In the uh, movie, Astrid shows up and she kind of helps Rachel get rid of the fish and then they kind of comfort each other, have it like a shared moment together, which mm-hmm. is nice. Yeah. I had to go to the bathroom uh, during that part. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately. Movie. Yeah. So I was in the bathroom. I was in the bathroom, which is pretty common for me. So <laughs> I'll have to wait to rewatch that part when it comes out on DVD. But yeah, but so when they get back, when Rachel and Nick are kind of reunited, they kind of have this uh, not confrontation, but discussion about like, listen, this is way more intense than like I wanted it to be. And you led me to believe. Yeah. And so Nick kind of has to finally be like, yeah, OK, maybe, maybe I'm like Asia's most eligible bachelor <laughs> <laughs> and maybe women want to cut your throat to get to me um you know this seems like a really great time to talk about uh Henry Golding yeah who's is that the actor who plays Nick yes oh my god yeah <laughs> so this guy let's just this let's guy. just get it out here okay so they had, like searched the globe to find someone to play Nick <laughs> and they couldn't find anyone we're auditioning, auditioning, auditioning people. And then finally someone's like, oh, I heard about this guy who does like travel ads in like that for this company in, in really? England. Yeah. He wasn't an actor. Like he just did like, I don't know, it was voiceover or just like kind of advertisement stuff. And they're like, he's really like Asian, handsome guy. And he kind of has a British accent, which is what they wanted for yeah, this role. Yeah. And they auditioned him and they were like, Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he is so handsome. Like, well, not only that, he is just so laid back and casually charming. So charming. Like, so charming. <laughs> he is so charming. By the end of the movie, I was like, I'm so in love with this guy. <laughs> like, in just his role, too. Like, he was very affectionate to Rachel, all his scenes with her. He's so sweet and kind and just showering her with affection. Like, you never doubt their love for each other. Yeah. In the book, it's not as explicit. Like, you know, they love each other, but just being able to see that on screen, they really, they really bring it to life. Henry Golding and Constance Wu really have a lot of chemistry. Oh, yeah. Like they're, they're so good together. Uh, but God, I was like, this man is amazing. Like he's wearing all these fancy suits and, uh, 
Yeah, I know. And honestly, I'm surprised they were like committed to finding someone with a British accent. Yeah. Because I was wondering going into the movie if they would do that, because it's kind of a weird thing. Just that like he went to boarding school in London for several years. So he has a British accent, even though not everyone in his family does. And Mm -hmm. like, so I was like, that's something they could easily ditch. So I wasn't sure if they'd go with that in the movie, but they did. And it was probably worth it. It paid off. As Aquafina <laughs> said, it's like the Asian bachelor in here. <laughs> yeah, it was uh, it, it was I was shocked that he hasn't been in anything else. Like, oh, it's yeah. Really surprising and that he just had such a natural ease about him. He's you definitely going to be in movies from now on. Oh, absolutely. So, yeah, no, definitely. I'm glad we uh, got to talk about him a little bit. Um. Where are we at now? Oh, there's a, there's a scene in the movie after the bachelor and bachelorette party where they're kind of hanging out with their family, um, making dumplings. Yeah, at Sue Yi's house, which is Nick's ama. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of this nice scene, and Rachel's really kind of connecting with the family now. Yeah, and they're showing her how to make dumplings. So it's like a family recipe and everything. Oliver's there. He's super funny. Mm-hmm. And... Kind of, but there's this, still this tension though between Nick's mom, Eleanor, mm-hmm. and Rachel. And I really love the amount of uh, just once again, the way Michelle Yeoh plays the character. Yeah. Where she's not being overtly hostile in any way. And kind of the subtext of what she's saying isn't even very overt. Yeah. But it's just kind of like, what does she talk about her, uh, Rachel's ambition? Yeah. And kind of like, you know. Oh, and how Americans like to follow their passion. Yes. To be happy. And she's like, that's not what we do here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I just love the level of kind of coolness she played with this role. Yeah. It easily could have been like too much where it's like, well, maybe in America, but here, yeah. you know, like it could have been way too aggressive, but she really played it kind of in a sophisticated way. Yeah. And there's this conversation about her ring because she has this um, yeah. engagement ring that uh, Nick's father gave to her. And this is all added. This was not in the book. But um, she says, they, I don't know if she says it. Who says it? Um, that Nick's grandmother, Sue Yi, yeah. didn't approve of the match. So she wouldn't give them uh, the family ring yeah. for her to be married. Um, so she got her own ring. Yeah, Eleanor tells... Uh, Rachel that in that scene on the staircase which is really good yeah and they kind of have this confrontation where uh Eleanor tells Rachel like I was the one that was kind of shunned and nobody wanted me to marry Nick's dad and all this stuff and Suyi treated me with disrespect and you can see in the scene that Suyi still treats Eleanor with disrespect yeah doesn't like her is always like ragging on her about this that anything um and that but then she kind of turns it around because you're almost like oh she and rachel can have something in common you know but she turns it around and it just says like you'll never be enough for nick and leaves yeah and you're like oh the Uh. theater was just like oh (laughs) (laughs) people stood up yeah (laughs) yeah so a a good added scene that i don't think didn't seem to be based on anything in the book yeah but that i enjoyed a lot it was just very well done. And you find out and it gives you a window into her character like that she wasn't wanted and she had to kind of become this person in order to be strong yeah. and to be in this family. And but here she is turning it right back on Rachel. And on the drive home, Nick informs Rachel about like, you know, 
my mom kind of gave me up to live with my grandmother so that I could be close to her and maybe inherit her wealth one day. Yeah. And so she kind of sacrificed having she kind of sacrificed my childhood and or like raising me. Yeah. To kind of like give me this opportunity. Mm-hmm. So it it does make you connect a lot with Eleanor and kind of understand like, you know, she has probably sacrificed a lot and does feel for Nick. And now she's like, I'm not going to let some girl take it all away. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. So even though she's being cold and terrible, you you can at least relate. Yeah. You know, so uh, good scene. Good scene. Yeah. Uh, The wedding. Yes. The wedding, the event of the year or the century (laughs) (laughs) or however long. Until someone else throws a $40 million even, oh wedding. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, this, it's just, like, super elaborate. I don't really want to, like, describe exactly it because it's just so extravagant. Like, your brain just forgets it. So, yeah, <laughs> you, you, your mind just dumps it out immediately. Yeah, you're like, whatever. But basically, extravagance upon extravagance upon extravagance for this wedding, for the ceremony, for the reception. It's just insanity. Did you want to talk a little about, bit about the author? Yeah, I read this great interview, and I'll have to post it on Patreon for everyone to read, um, where they were talking about how... So Kevin Kwan, actually, he grew up in Singapore. And I don't think his family is on the level of, like, Nick's family, mm-hmm. but I think they were wealthy, and they ran in, like, some pretty high circles and probably knew a lot of people exactly like this. And he talked about how he was writing stuff about his family and about the, you know, social groups that his family ran in and all this extravagance Um, and describing all these scenes. And I guess his editor was like, we have to cut some of this out because no one will believe it. Yeah. And so they actually like trimmed down the extravagance. Mm -hmm. And he was like, I've seen like even more over the top stuff in my actual real life, but people, it's so crazy, people wouldn't believe it. It makes me think of uh, the movie Foxcatcher, the yeah. one with Steve Carell, because mm-hmm. in that movie, based on a true story, he has like an, a mental breakdown and just acts super weird. Yeah. And in, I guess in real life, he like the stuff he did was so crazy that in the movie, they're like, we can't have that because no, <laughs> no one will believe that he was actually dressing like Jesus Christ and like running like just oh insanity. God. So it's kind of a similar thing. It's like, truth is stranger than fiction sometimes. And Mm -hmm. like, you have to tone it down if you want people to even believe it. Yeah, exactly. Which is so cool. (laughs) But this made a lot of sense when you told me, because I wasn't aware of it at the time. And I'm like, it makes sense that the author is in this life to an extent. Yeah. The degree that he writes about it. Yeah. That he writes about the names of fashion designers that he can describe the architecture and like all these extravagancies like it it makes sense that he has his toes in that yeah that pool because otherwise how could you even comprehend like what any of this shit is yeah exactly (laughs) so uh (laughs) namely the wedding and just how over the top it is there is a great scene though there's still an emotional core to this yeah where rachel and nick kind of exchange looks yeah before the wedding mm-hmm. and like during the ceremony too yeah it's like nick standing up there with colin as colin is getting married and colin is looking at his bride you know nick looks at rachel and is just like she's the one mm-hmm. and they kind of share this moment and it's just really sweet because you're like oh like he's realizing that he wants that and that he's found that in her yeah this movie really had me like it, yeah. it, it's a classic rom-com but it was like 
really touching and really sweet. It and I was, was like totally invested. Their in romance it. is so believable. It their is. chemistry is so good. And I loved all their scenes together. Yeah. Like, I don't know. In scenes where like he'll make a joke and she'll laugh at it. Like, yeah. I, I don't know. It's so nice to like see that. And it's just. It's sweet. Yeah. They have such good chemistry. It's, it's fantastic. Yeah. Um, so uh, this is kind of where the book and movie sort of diverge mm-hmm. on like the third act. Um, so in the book, the wedding ends and then um, Rachel kind of ends up talking with Amanda and Francesca yeah. and they tell her that <laughs> when they were teenagers, when they were teenagers, they had a threesome with Nick. They had a threesome with Nick. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, Rachel like immediately knows that they're trying to hurt her, but she can't help feeling hurt anyway. That they can keep that from her. And she kind of confronts Nick about it and explains like all the shit that she's been going through from all these people that are in his circle. And he's like, I'm so sorry. Like I was 16, you know, it like, I don't even think about that anymore, which is why I didn't even mention it. And then he's like, let's just get away from like all this craziness and my family and all these bitches. Like, let's go (laughs) like take a little vacation up to like the mountain and just you and me. Yeah. To my family's vacation home, pretty much. Yeah. And he's planning on proposing to her. Yeah. But when they get up there, who's waiting for him? But his mother and his grandmother. Yeah. Where his mother finally reveals this bombshell information that she had from this uh, source yeah that she got earlier on uh that uh rachel's father is actually alive yeah that he's not dead this and, whole time you've thought that rachel's father is dead and she assumed that rachel was aware of this and was yeah. hiding it but of course rachel didn't know either yeah uh but apparently her father is in jail mm-hmm. from like he was overseeing a construction thing and like people got hurt because he was negligent so he went to jail for it he's a shitty person he's a horrible person (laughs) and so they're like now especially you can't uh marry rachel yeah and this is the scene too where his grandma is like i forbid you from marrying her which is so sad because you're like oh maybe the grandma will be like nice yeah she seemed fine and eleanor's you know eleanor's like mean but then the grandma's like uh no (laughs) yeah which i i did like that it's It'd probably be a stretch that, like, the oldest of yeah. the family would be the most open-minded. Like, of course, she's probably going to be the most ingrained in these traditional ideas of mm-hmm. uh, who's right for Nick to marry. Yeah. And Nick... So, of course, Rachel's world is just rocked that, like, her dad... Is she, alive. Is alive. Her mom lied to her her whole life. Yeah. Uh, because... I, I, Rachel was actually born in China, but then when she was six months old, they went to America. Yeah. So she's not a true ABC American born Chinese. But uh, so her dad is in jail in China Mm -hmm. and Nick kind of denounces his family to his mom and his grandmother. Yeah. He's He's, like, I'm done with you. He's like, I'm fucking done. This is insane. You had no right to do this. Yeah. And I can't believe you. Mm -hmm. And just kind of leaves Um, in the movie. This happens right at the wedding. So, um, in the movie, the information is a little bit different because we come to find out later that, uh, Rachel's father is not actually the guy that's in prison. Yeah. That was her husband. That was her mom's husband. Yeah. Kelly or no, Karen, Carrie, I I think Carrie hits her mom's name. That was her husband. But Rachel's father is actually another man who she her mom had met 
and kind of fallen in love with because her husband was so shitty and abusive. Yeah. So when she became pregnant, she ran away. Mm-hmm. And um, she, Rachel's mom comes from to Singapore because Rachel is like really upset, kind of in this depression. She refuses to see Nick. She refuses to talk to her mom. She's Pike staying Lynn is, with Pake Lynn. Yeah. Um, but she's not really eating. She's just kind of laying in bed. And then her mom shows up. And at first she doesn't even want to talk to her mom. But she's like, let me explain. And she tells Rachel the whole story about how she was like married to this guy. But then he was like very physically abusive. And, you know, she fell in love with this other guy, ended up pregnant. But then she was afraid that they, she would be killed and that they would hurt Rachel, yeah. which is why she fled to America. And um, this restores the relationship between Rachel and her mom. And Rachel's like, you know, I'm sorry that this happened to you. And then they kind of reconcile and everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In the book, the story's even longer. It's yeah. kind of like more complicated. And I mean, there's no need to get into it now. The, the main points are the same, but this happens so close to the end of the story. I know you're like, what's, like, we only have, like, 20 pages left. Not even that. It was, like, yeah. not even 10, I don't think. I think it was, like, six pages by the time she finished the story. And and on top of that, to be perfectly honest, the story doesn't really... Resolve. Res- it doesn't resonate with what's going on right now. Yeah. With her... Like, I was expecting by the end of the story that the mom would give her some kind of advice from it, you know, yeah. about her and Nick. And, like, so you see, yeah. you shouldn't leave Nick... But it wasn't really about that at all. It was no. just like, that's the history of my, me and my family. And I'm sorry you didn't know. Yeah. And I lied to you this whole time. Yeah. And then um, the mom is like, Nick was the one that got me and flew me out here so that I could talk to you. And so Rachel kind of talks to him. They sort of reconcile. Um, but that's that's it. That's the end. Like, there's just a scene of them where the mom and Paiklin are talking and they see Rachel and Nick kissing. And they're like, oh, I guess things are better between them. And then literally the book ends and that's it. Yeah. I knew there was another book. Yeah. Like at this point in reading it. uh, But I was very shocked by how abruptly it ended. Yeah. With no resolution. There's no agreement. Like Rachel doesn't accept his marriage proposal. No, we We don't don't know how things stand between Nick and his family. We don't get any other scene or resolution between Nick and his mom, especially who his mom was such an important character and she's kind of regretting what she did because Nick has stopped speaking to her. Yeah. So there is a regret in her, but we don't really see that like amount to anything go, go in this story. Yeah. So one of those situations where if you're looking at the book on its own, it, it's kind of unsatisfactory. Yeah. Maybe if you read the other books, you're totally fine with how this ended because you know where it goes. But Having just read this book, it was kind of disappointing. It was a little bit. I wanted a better resolution for this, these group of people that we had come to know and love. Yeah. Um, in the movie, we get more resolution. Yeah. So in the movie, uh, after the, the, the discussion with her mom, uh, Nick proposes to her, to Rachel. And, uh, we don't get, we don't get, we see the answer, but, we see a following scene where Eleanor goes to a mahjong playing place, yeah. <laughs> you know, like a tea house kind of thing, uh-huh. where she meets Rachel. And we get this really great scene where the two of them are together playing mahjong and kind of discussing where to go from here. Yeah. And Rachel reveals to her during this game that she turned down Nick and his marriage proposal because 
she didn't want to pull him away from his family. She yeah. knew his family was important to him and she didn't want to be the reason that relationship fell apart. Mm-hmm. But she kind of has this great moment where she's like, I just wanted you to know and for you to know that you still have a relationship with your son because of me. Yeah. Like, like you owe me. Because of a peasant girl who yeah. like you had no respect for. Mm-hmm. Like I just wanted you to know that essentially. And she also says to her, um, with him losing me, he might resent you for the rest of his life. Yeah. Because he knows that you were the cause of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so kind of just like tells her like it is. What's fucking up. Yeah. And like defeats her in Mahjong. It's great. I don't understand Mahjong, but I understood the context that she laid down some great tiles there. Yeah. Those <laughs> are some some good looking tiles. Yeah. And it's kind of like a, a hearkening back to an earlier scene in the movie where she's teaching uh, game theory and mm-hmm. um, like in psychology or in economics for her class. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, and, and we were talking about this after the movie that we liked how they didn't even try to explain Mahjong or like no. what was happening. It's just, if you don't know how to play, it's like, well, sorry. <laughs> like you get the context. Yeah, for sure. And it's like, I don't understand other car, I don't understand card games. Like, I don't know how to play <laughs> poker. Every time I see a movie when they're playing some kind of card game, I'm like, oh, they put some cards down and it means something. I can tell from the musical <laughs> score right now that he won. <laughs> yes, it's a similar thing, but I just liked that they didn't even yeah. bother to try to explain. Mm-hmm. Uh, so then Rachel's on her way home. To leave Singapore, to leave Nick, mm-hmm. and to go on her own. And we see in a montage that Nick's mom comes to him. Yeah. And they have, they're kind of having this discussion that we don't hear. Mm-hmm. And it's Rachel on the plane, and in classic rom com style, who comes aboard but Nick? This reminds me of uh, The Wedding That's singer. what I was, I was exactly, I was <laughs> going to say the same scene. thing. Yeah. Um, but he jumps on the plane and he's like, Rachel, wait, like, and he's explaining to her and he's telling her how he wanted to propose to her and like how, you know, he asked her to marry him. And yeah. it's, it's so sweet. And then when he pulls out the ring, he pulls out Eleanor's ring. Yeah, the green ring she'd the been green looking ring at earlier. That had to be specially made for her because Suyi wouldn't give her the family ring. Mm-hmm. And so you know that Eleanor gave him the ring. It was a really smart, um, you know, an adjustment from the source material. Yeah. That, you know, immediately the audience, you understand and it means a lot and it's kind of an unspoken thing, but just very effective from a storytelling point of view, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And it works really well. And then they have this like engagement party in Singapore. Mm-hmm. It's really great. Everyone's dancing. It's fun. Uh, Nick on the plane also is like at his most charming. Yeah. Because he's like trying to talk to Rachel, but he's also like helping people with their luggage yeah. on the plane. <laughs> it was a really well done scene. He's a sweet guy. Yeah. <laughs> and so we, we end. And I really like the way this movie ends where they're at the engagement party having fun. And we have a moment where Rachel looks into like the crowd and sees Nick's mom mm-hmm. kind of watching. And it's not a moment of like affection at all yeah it's more just respect to an extent like yeah nick's mom clearly still has her issues with what's going on but she's kind of like maybe put them to rest for now yeah and is just willing to accept it mm-hmm. and i really that felt like the perfect amount of yeah she's not like oh compromise. yes rachel i love you now yeah yeah, mm-hmm. yeah so i really it leaves room for another movie with conflict between them yeah yet it feels like a certain amount of resolution more than we got in the book mm-hmm. yeah and they're definitely engaged which we don't get in mm-hmm. the in the book at all um yeah and it just seems like 
you know, they're on their way and he's kind of made some amends with his family. They don't talk about the grandma and her reaction at all, but at least Eleanor has given the ring and sort of given her approval to this. Yeah. Uh, and then in, uh, um, oh my God. Oh my God. What's her name? Uh, Astrid. (laughs) (laughs) A crisis averted. Yeah. Um, Astrid's story is really interesting, the way it plays out in the book and the movie. Yeah. So in the book, uh, after Michael leaves, after he completely abandons their marriage, yeah. she hires private investigators. <laughs> Everyone's hiring private investigators. I guess they're just like growing trees over there. <laughs> and she tracks him down and finds him. And who at what she assumes is his mistress's house. Yeah. But then we find out this isn't quite the story. Mm-hmm. And she kind of comes back in contact with her ex-fiance and her old love, who she was dating before she was with Michael, um, Charlie. Yeah. And he was super in love with her, and her family didn't approve of the match, which is why they uh, split up. But you can tell he still loves her. Yeah. And she ends up contacting him, and he helps her kind of get this private investigator and track down, like, what's going on with Michael's mistress and all this stuff. So he's helping her. Uh, But you find out that... Michael doesn't have a mistress mm-hmm. and he's not cheating on her. He set it up to seem like he was cheating on her. Yeah. Which is a super weird thing to do and really fucked up. Yeah. Uh, but the point was that he wanted to break it off with her, but he wanted her to want that. Yeah. Cause he was like, and he wanted to give her like a reason and yeah. an excuse for like the public and her family. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't like he was leaving her because he can't stand how wealthy she is and her family. It's like, oh, he was a shit. So now she's leaving him. Yeah. So, but we kind of find out in in this scene that Michael has not been cool at all with uh, just the differences in their incomes. Yeah. And especially like the fact that Astrid kind of would buy things secretly and try to hide Hide them and like kind of trying to be delicate about it, I think hurt him more than her just embracing her own wealth yeah in a way and he just says i don't want to get back together and then we get a scene at the, near the end of the book where astrid's talking to charlie again mm-hmm. and he he advises her he's like listen he's like don't give in to the divorce for at least a year yeah he's like i have a feeling that michael now that he's gotten this off his chest is willing to make amends make maybe. amends maybe and he tells her he's like but i want you to live like you want to live. He's like, move out of that small apartment, buy one that's suited for you, buy the clothes you want to buy, and yeah. be the person that you want Don't to be. Don't hide. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and so that's kind of where the book ends off, where yeah. Astrid's really heartbroken over this, but she's hopeful. That things might work out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Michael, you know, clearly had a lot of problems with their relationship that he wasn't talking about. Yeah. Uh, and they're kind of understandable. You can kind of see why he'd be really upset and it'd be hard for him to deal with. But the movie takes a very different kind of approach to it. Yeah, they don't. Um, the The fair is not uh, a setup. It is an actual affair. Yeah. Um, and then he's just sort of like really mean to her about it mm-hmm. and is like moving out. And then Astrid's like, no, I'm going to move out. Like I have like 14 properties, like fuck you basically. And it's just like, I'm going to take 
my kid and I'm going to go like, yeah. And kind of has this great part where she tells him that he's a coward you yeah, know? and that he's not a man. She thought that she could make him a man, but she can't because he isn't one. And I'm like, dang. Yeah. It's pretty, I don't want to say harsh because it feels more justified in the movie. Yeah. But this idea that, um, you know, he's kind of, he is being shitty. Yeah. And, him being upset about her wealth is like his problem and yeah. him not bringing it up is his problem. Mm-hmm. And Astrid kind of realizes this isn't something I should have to hide, like m- my money and the things I buy. And, you know, I should have someone that can deal with that. Yeah. So it definitely takes a much harder um, uh, ending with like Michael and his character and just yeah. kind of portraying him in a lot shittier of a way. Mm hmm. And, and kind of had me rethinking the end of the book, too, a lot. So, spoiler for the next two books. Everyone cover your ears if you don't want to hear the spoiler. Yeah. But um, Astrid and Michael's problems don't go away. And mm. this sort of ending that they have in the movie um, is sort of the ending that they eventually have in the books. Oh, really? So they kind of, like, are reunited and come back together and then... Yeah, and then shit hits a fan. Interesting. Hmm. Yeah, and he's like a dick to her, and she leaves. Oh. Yeah. Hmm. I have to process that. I have to think about that. I yeah. did like where the movie ended up, and it kind of had me... With Astrid on her own and, like, independent. Yeah. And you're like, hell yeah, you know? You shouldn't be ashamed of your money if you have money. Yeah. Like, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I just thought that was... Uh, just had me rethinking the book in its own way, and, like, yeah. how I walked away feeling, like, bad for Michael in the book, kind of, and understanding him, and mm-hmm. then after seeing the movie, I'm like you know what, that was kind of a shitty perspective to have on it. And he, yeah. you know, should have just been more upfront about it. And Also, it's like really crazy to fake an affair and like set that all up. Yeah. Like that's very cold, calculating and cruel. Like mm-hmm. it is just awful. And it's like, damn, like you can't talk to someone about your issues. You can't like go to therapy. You can't just literally tell someone like, hey, this bothers me and I haven't been able to deal with it. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Like he has to set up this whole elaborate scheme. It's just, yeah. It's also a little far-fetched. It is. Kind of like, what? Yeah. Why, why would you do this? Why would anyone do <laughs> is this? Is this really the best is it, solution? Is it easier to actually cheat than to set up the cheating? Like. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Fair. And if you're like, okay with like, Making your spouse think you're cheating. Then why wouldn't you why cheat? Why wouldn't you just cheat? <laughs> yeah. I'm not condoning cheating, no, but it, yeah. it, if you're balancing the the sins. <laughs> yeah, so. Yeah, very yeah. different endings. Mm-hmm. And that kind of brings us to the end of the boat, of both of them. <laughs> the end of the boat? The end of the boat. <laughs> We're at the end of, of, of the uh, $8 million yacht. <laughs> yeah, Wow. What a ride. What a time. Which one which one does it for you, Ian? Once again, in classic fashion, I have not thought of this too heavily. Yeah. Or come to a conclusion. I, I have actually thought about it a lot. Um, I would say that for me, I like the book and it going more into Astrid's character. Yeah. But I also like the finale of the movie better and just the because i i get in the book it's the first of a trilogy yeah so it shouldn't have to wrap things up completely but, but that's still nice to have in a book even yeah, if it's in a trilogy it should still be the end of a book yeah you know, a I, story yeah exactly and it yeah. doesn't feel like the end of any kind of story it just feels like the first part 
of it's like the fellowship of the rings yeah <laughs> it's just like okay this is just where we're gonna end this part i yeah, guess yeah yeah uh so oh boy do you have a, what do you have a conclusive i'm gonna say i'm gonna say the movie actually yeah i really liked reading the book and I was really into it when I was reading it. And there are characters I like more in the book, like Astrid. She's my favorite character in the book. Um, but uh, just, like the actors just really brought to life these yeah. super wild, super lovable, super terrible characters. And just getting to see that play out was such a treat. I was smiling <laughs> like the whole way through the movie because yep. it was so funny and it was so sweet and it was so wild. Just great. And... I don't know, getting to see like the shots of Singapore, like everything with that was really cool. Um, I just really loved the movie. It was so fun. And so I would just like recommend everyone watch it. And then if you really like the story, like maybe check out the book. The book can be a little harder to like get into in terms of accessibility. The movie is definitely and it hits like all the great points of the movie and kind of like wraps up some of the more complicated storylines. So Mm -hmm. I think it does a great job. Yeah. And plus with this kind of story, like it really helps to have visuals for like it does the the, what the they're talking about yeah like the, the fashion shoes, the dresses the, yeah like, i can't picture that on my own no like to actually see them it's like it's a glamorous thing and this is a very glamorous movie like you want to be able to see it yeah so yeah. It, it really helps with a visual medium mm-hmm. uh i also feel like the movie probably for me i definitely really want to see the movie again i yeah me too i i mean for a book that I was very hesitant about when I first started, where I'm like, oh, my God, like two chapters. And I'm like, I don't know if I can do this. This is 400 pages. Yeah. Like, I can't take 400 pages of not knowing anyone or what's going on or anything. But um, by the time I got into it, I was flying through it. Oh, so, yeah. Um, yeah, I'll have to say the movie, too, I think. It just was so fun, so lighthearted. But, like, you know, the romance you were into. and yeah. It just, it really uh, captured me. Yeah. And we haven't talked about this a ton, but like, you know, this means a lot for Hollywood. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We should talk about that. Yeah. The movie industry. And um, if you've read anything about the movie, um, I was reading and hearing about how the director, uh, John M. Chu, actually turned down like a really high salaried lots of money deal with Netflix. Mm -hmm. Like they were going to get paid like a shit ton of money. And so was Kevin Kwan and like the producers if they distributed the movie through Netflix. But they turned that down for a lesser offer to go with Warner Brothers um, because they wanted to see this type of movie with these type of characters and all Asian cast. There's no white people in this story. Yeah. Um, On the big screen. Yeah. He said it was like very much a statement because he's like Netflix is already a very progressive kind of diverse, diverse. platform. Mm-hmm. Uh, for uh, representing minorities and like, you know, both on screen and behind the camera. And being groundbreaking in that area. Yeah, and he's like, that's already, he's like, but the the movie theater is kind of this prestigious kind of, that's still for a lot of like Hollywood kind of yeah elites, for lack of better word. Like that's still kind of like where it's at. Yeah. And so it means it's more of a statement to have this kind of movie out in theaters. Yeah. So, yeah, I also thought that was a really interesting story. We mm-hmm. heard that on the podcast, Keep It. Yeah. Um, yeah, but I also read a really good article that was on NPR about 
um, a woman was writing it who is Asian American and was talking about how nervous she was going to see this movie. Yeah, yeah. Because a lot of people were saying like, oh, this is going to be uh, the Black Panther, but for Asian actors. Mm-hmm. And she was like, that's really difficult because Black Panther is very much an empowering movie. Oh, yeah. About what if there was a part of Africa that wasn't affected by uh, imperialism and like colonialism and like uh, slavery, slavery and all these other like horrible, you know, things. And, you know, very much uh, a movie that was empowering for African-Americans. Um, yeah. Uh, she's like, but, you know, not to downplay Crazy Rich Asians, but it's a rom-com. And, it is. Uh, but she was like, I think as representation uh, for, you know, minorities becomes more and more frequent. Like she's like, we have to be OK with a movie, not. Not being, being everything. like the battle cry. Yeah. Yeah. For, you know, representation. Like, yes, this is a great movie. I loved it. So great. Fun and really important for diversity, especially yeah. for um, Asian Americans. Um, but it's not like, yeah, it's not like Black Panther. <laughs> yeah, it's not. It's just because it's a different movie. Yeah. And I'm so happy that we got what we did. Like, it's a great rom-com. Yeah. Uh, supported by an all uh, Asian cast. And that's great like it should be allowed to be that yeah i think it's m- movies that are show representing minorities in this way sometimes are held to this incredible standard yeah that they can never so live up to pressure. and it's unfair it's like yeah. ridiculous it's like hey this is your first chance in 25 years that's how long it's been since there's been an all asian cast yeah so better do it right or no one will invest in it ever again exactly and even if you do it right joy luck club yeah did great Mm-hmm. But we still didn't get any more Asian-led yeah. films. Mm-hmm. So even by those standards, it's like crazy. But yeah. Um, but at the end of the day, this author for the NPR article was like, it was a really great rom-com and I'm yeah. so happy about it. And mm-hmm. maybe not everyone will love it. Maybe not everyone will love the representation of it. But the point is... There's it doesn't sh- have to be the end-all be-all exactly. for Asians. Because hopefully <laughs> there's more coming along. Yeah, exactly. There's more movies that can show different sides of... Uh, the Asian American experience. Like we're or, saying, you know, Asians aren't a monolith. Like there's so many different cultures, so mm-hmm. many different countries represented, so many different types of people. You know, this is one slice of that. Yeah. So and it should be allowed to be a slice. Yeah. So yeah, there's there's been a lot of really interesting things surrounding this movie and its release. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think we're all just very relieved that it's a good movie. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so get out there and see it. Yeah, definitely. Lightning round. Lightning round. All right, so first up for lightning round, we mentioned this at the beginning of the episode, but Alistair, one of Nick's cousins, is dating Kitty Pong, an actress <laughs> slash maybe porn star, total gold digger, the actual gold digger of the story. <laughs> um, but the whole book and the whole movie, she's dating Alistair and everyone hates her. And then they kind of get engaged, actually, yeah. in the book. Um and Oliver tries to break them up. <laughs> so he whispers like on orders from Eleanor. Yeah, he whispers in Kitty's ear basically that Alistair is not going to get much money from his family because they're super cheap. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, oh, you know who's really wealthy though is that guy Bernard over there. The shitty guy. <laughs> the shitty of bachelor, the bachelor party. party guy. Yeah. And then you find later that Bernard and Kitty are having sex in a closet. Yeah. <laughs> so Alistair and Kitty's engagement is off, but uh, really funny, uh, actual gold digger of the story. Yeah, and <laughs> just the turn of events of her getting with like the most awful person in the story was yeah. great. I love that. <laughs> um, I have to go on a 
really small graphic design tangent here. Yeah. Uh, the front of the book, if ever a book needed a family tree diagram, it is Crazy Rich Asians. Yeah. Uh, which we get, but it is the worst laid out. It's very confusing. It's so confusing. The The hierarchy of like in a straight line, it's the parents at the top. And so you'd think it was like generational, like yeah. oh, then their kids, then their kids, then their kids. But it's actually the parents and then all their kids in a straight that. line. Yeah. And. And then there's family members in the tree. This must be the family tree for like all three books. Yeah. Because there's a bunch of family members listed from. I'm guessing other stories that will happen later who aren't in this one. But there's other people that I wish had been included in the family tree, like other families. Yeah. Family friends and people. Yeah. yeah. There's so many interconnections that could have been explained. And there's so many family members in that tree that aren't mentioned at all or just mentioned like super briefly. So it's like. (sighs) It was really frustrating. I'm like, I wish this was a usable tool and it's not at all because it makes no sense. It would be better if it was just like a glossary of character names and like a brief description yeah so you could like refer be like who's this person again oh it's nick's mom or like oh yeah. it's Nick's cousin and that's you know? their kid and that's their cousin like yeah, yeah. that would have been so much better <laughs> okay so another lightning round thing uh from the movie is that uh at the wedding of colin and araminta uh rachel has no one to sit with and so she goes to sit with this fancy princess lady who apparently has reserved a row all to herself because she hates everyone. Yeah. But then Rachel starts talking to her about economics because apparently she's uh, an economics writer or has written articles and they like totally hit it off and everyone is looking at her like, oh my God, how could do Rachel manage this? Yeah. And there's this great moment where Nick kind of looks out at her and he's like, my girl. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, uh, yeah, it's a really great part. Mm-hmm. Um, finally, <laughs> there's a part in the book that I really like where um, on her trip to get this dirt on Rachel, Eleanor and her friends stop at this like black market <laughs> that sells uh, knockoff purses. Yeah. But really, they're not knockoffs. It's like extra ones that were made that like the producer of the purse didn't know about and that like the factory sold and now through back market through, channels. Yeah. And are now being sold at like a third of the price. Mm-hmm. But it's kind of this funny, ironic thing where it's like, a market only for rich women. Yeah. And that's discounted. Yeah, that's discounted. Like they don't need the discount, but they're the only ones who have access to that. And the one friend is and I think Eleanor or someone was like, why would we buy knockoffs when we can get the real thing? Yeah. And she was like, yeah, but everyone knows we can afford the real thing. So who's going to think it's a knockoff? <laughs> so, <laughs> it, you know, it, it kind of makes yeah. sense, but it's really fucked up. And in the movie, there's a line about, like, no one likes free things more than rich people. <laughs> and it kind of made me think of that scene. But yeah. it's kind of this funny, ironic, weird setup. Juxtaposition. Yeah. But yeah. I liked it a lot. So that's the end of Lightning Round. Yeah. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. Hopefully you've had a chance to see the movie. And mm-hmm. if you hadn't, get out there and see it. And definitely check out the book if you're into the movie or if you want to read the book for first. It's really good and worth it, too. Yeah, both really good stories. Mm-hmm. I We enjoyed both of them a lot. Yeah. Uh, and next week, we'll be talking about sharp objects. In two weeks. 
in two weeks. Ah, <laughs> God, I, every every episode. Every week. I mean, every other every week. <laughs> Next episode, we'll be talking about Sharp Objects. Sharp Objects. The Gillian Flynn novel and the HBO miniseries adaptation. Or is it a miniseries? What's a miniseries anymore? I Who don't know. Knows? Who knows? We don't know. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. Check us out next time for that. Uh, if you want to follow us on Twitter, we are at Cover2Credits. That's the number two. Mm-hmm. Or email us uh, at Cover2CreditsPod at gmail.com. We're uh, on Facebook. We're on Instagram. Yep. We're, we're everywhere. On Patreon. If you'd like to contribute to what we do, we'd appreciate it. Uh, yeah. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like, you can leave us a review on iTunes or mm-hmm. wherever you listen to your podcast. We'd appreciate it very much. And yeah, we're now on Spotify. Also, we're on Spotify now. We're everywhere. You can't get rid of us. <laughs> uh, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. Bye.